The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. And we're back again to uh, this subject of prayer after three weeks. Be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, in our study of these few verses, we've kind of broadened out, or I have broadened out the meaning uh, into some areas perhaps that Paul didn't actually intend. And that doesn't mean that I've taught you anything that wasn't true, isn't true, and uh, is contrary to what Paul intended to say here. It's just that what we've done is to take this scripture in conjunction with, with many others that talk about prayer, and we're learning more about how to communicate with God in prayer. And what I've yet to do, as we looked at this text, what I've yet to do is actually to delve in to why the Apostle Paul was speaking about prayer in this particular passage. Now, the context of it, I do want to talk to you about just a little bit as we begin the message tonight, because Paul is speaking here about the lifeblood of the church. And he's showing us as the modern readers of this epistle how that God has kept his church alive through these many centuries of constant attacks against it. Uh, through the years, the church has gone through much persecution. There have been times when it looked like that Satan had, has the upper hand, that Satan has defeated God's people. He's won this battle and that the promise that Christ gave the church that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, it sometimes just looks like Satan wins. So it appears that uh, Satan does sometimes, but we look at this and we see, and the Apostle Paul shows, that, that God has a method of prever- uh, preserving his church, and that method is evangelism. And basically, this text is an evangelistic text, because verse number 4 says that, God wants people to be saved. God wants people to come to the knowledge of the truth. And there's only one way that that can happen. God has left us in charge of that, so to speak, at least giving the gospel to people. He's left us as with that responsibility to tell people about Christ. There isn't any other method for salvation other than the evangelism of God's people. And you notice in these first three verses that... Paul keeps impressing towards the desire of the salvation of all people. In in, in the first verse, Paul used all these synonyms to reinforce our understanding that we are to pray towards that end. We are to pray for people to be saved. And prayer is actually our acknowledgement that we don't have anything to do with the process as far as how that's going to happen. We can't make it happen. We have to give everything to God and that's why we pray to him and ask him to do it. And it's God who changes the heart. And if God wasn't the one who changed the heart, then we don't have a need to pray. Our powers of persuasion would be enough for people to to come to belief in Christ. But there are people who seem to believe that, and they become more concerned about learning certain techniques and following a manual than they are about actually depending upon God. And you notice here that Paul says that we are to pray for all men, 
And I'm sure that you understand that that means all people because women and children also need to be saved. They need to be prayed for. And you understand what the Bible says when it says men, unless like Bob and I were talking a little bit earlier, if you're some kind of a half-crazed genderphobic, then you have a problem with the word men in the scriptures. But um, Paul is just simply saying that we've got to pray for all people. And then he says, particularly here, kings and those in authority. And you wonder, why did Paul split that out and say particularly for kings and those that are in authority? Well, I'm not going to give you uh, all the, the reasons for this right now, but that is the rest, the key to the understanding of the rest of verse, uh, this passage in verse number four. But in relation to prayer, that's very important because when he said that, he still has all people being saved on his mind. And so he said, pray for those that are in authority that we might live, might lead a quiet and a peaceable life. And so what his prayer is for the government to cease its opposition against the gospel. Uh, The Roman government was a persecuting government. Christians were considered to be troublemakers. When anything went wrong, then they blamed Christians for it. And Christians were constantly in the crosshairs of the authorities. And that makes it very difficult for the preaching of the gospel. So Paul is just saying here, pray that persecution will stop. That's why you're praying for those that are in authority, for kings. Pray that the persecution will stop, that the gospel will have free course, that it won't be hindered. So he says, pray that we can preach without threats. Now, in effect, what he's praying here for is religious freedom. He's praying for freedom of conscience. Now, that prayer, this prayer is an evangelistic prayer, and he's praying for civil magistrates not to be persecutors, but protectors of religious freedom. Now, the whole point here is so the gospel can be more effective. And so his purpose for discussing prayer here is not about how to get you to practice uh, the right techniques in your personal prayer life. That's not really what he's talking about. And that's why I say we have expanded the meaning. And what we don't want to do is to lose the original meaning of this because a request for salvation of all men has to be one of the things that's first and foremost in our minds. That's one of our main petitions. Now, I'm sure that you're very much aware that we are on the verge of an ethical flip in the United States, and some might say that we've already gone there. Uh, The gay rights movement is a driving force against religious freedom, and you're going to find that to be true, and it has the potential to stop preaching in the same way that Paul was hindered in his day with the Roman government. So what we need to do is to go back to praying for kings and those that are in authority. Pray that we can lead peaceable lives according to conscience and that we can continually uh, continue to faithfully preach the gospel of Christ without hindrance. So I wanted you to know that because I don't want to keep reading the scripture and not tell you the context in which Paul said these things. Um, Someday you might come back to this and hopefully you'll remember what I've said about this passage, but then you wouldn't have any idea why that Paul actually spoke about prayer in this part of First Timothy, and you wouldn't know how that figures into the entire epistle. So when Paul writes there, first of all, in verse number one, it's first of all, pray first of all because the church is facing religious persecution. That's the issue. Prayer is needed first of all 
Because the main work of the Lord's church is evangelism. And evangelism evangelism is very tough when everybody, including the authorities, are against you. And that doesn't mean that the church is going to fail because we have opposition. You know, I've read some of the responses that have happened to this whole thing of the Supreme Court's uh, issuance of their directive on homosexuality, what they say the Constitution supports, so on and so on. And there are Christian people that just fall all apart because this has happened. Well, it's a terrible thing to happen, no doubt about that. But our confidence is not there. Our confidence is in the Lord himself. And that doesn't mean the church is going to fail because the, the government might become persecutors of us. Well, the church has always faced persecution. We're not going to die out because the government has made a decision. And it doesn't mean that back channels for preaching the gospel will no longer be effective like it was in church history because they had to do that often. The Lord is still in control. Secret meetings might have to happen, but people will still be saved. If If God decides to do it that way, people will be saved. But what Christians... What Christians in any time have not had this desire that we can preach the gospel freely? And this is what Paul is asking for, to be delivered from persecution so it's easier to preach the gospel to people. Well, I want to return now to our thoughts on the passage. And uh, I've used this to impress the need for for personal prayer. And I picked these particular verses because... Paul was very insistent about prayer in these verses. Now, prayer is a very important thing for Christians, and and if it's this important, as Paul puts this emphasis on it, then we need to pray in the right way. We need to pray in the ways that are most effective, that God's going to honor. And we're blessed because the Bible does give instructions on it. That's why we've gone to the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. That's why we've looked at personal examples of Jesus and the way that he prayed because the Bible tells us how we can do it in the right way. Now, let's just take a look at our outline here for just a moment and we'll look at a couple things that we've already discussed. First of all, we've talked about practicing the essentials. And there are several of those and I don't want to do anything other than just to mention them. Uh, We've talked about faith and we've talked about humility and harmony and holiness, thankfulness, persistence and things like that. And then we've also talked about how the Bible teaches that we are to address our prayers to the Father and also that we are to pray in Jesus' name. And those aren't just mechanical things that we do to try and get our prayers right, but those are things that have to be done from the heart. From the the right kind of attitude, realizing that prayer is a privilege that has been granted by God. And if God grants that privilege, then he has the right to control the parameters of how we are to pray. So we need to learn to practice the essentials, the things that the Bible says are, are going to make prayer effective. Now, the next thing that we looked at was avoiding the obstacles. Uh, We learned about the pitfalls that come uh, in in our prayers. Our our prayers often run up against a a brick wall of silence because there might be something that's not right, not right about us, might not be right about situations. Uh, There can be unconfessed sins in our lives. There are sins that we just don't want to give up. Stubbornness and rebellion, those two are a poison potion when it comes to prayer. God doesn't like obstinacy. God does not like disobedience. God is holy. He wants sin over and done with in our lives. He's already dealt with sin in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want to have to keep dealing with it in us. 
And so we needn't expect if we have these constant sins that we're involved in that God's going to answer our prayer. He's not disposed to do that for us. Now, we, we have to learn what these obstacles are and avoid those. And sin, of course, is, is a great big obstacle. So it might be even some nagging things that you want to hold on to. It can be the way that you treat other people. Living for Jesus is to have a Christ-like spirit. Jesus said we are to love others, do as he did, put their needs before yours. Don't be selfish. Learn to forgive those that hurt you. And then there are nuts and bolts issues that become problems for prayer. Some of it can be personality issues. Every person fights the sin of pride. Sometimes that shows up in prayer. In Matthew 6, Jesus talked about that. That can be a problem in prayer. And then also in that passage, he described how that rote prayers, just repetitive prayers, prayers that you pray just because you think you have to pray, can be a problem. Prayers that are mechanical, prayers that are repetitive so you can say them without thinking. Prayers that can be said with your mind in neutral and you don't know when you started or when you stopped. Those kind of prayers God doesn't hear. Don't assume that God is interested in prayers that you aren't interested in. And many liturgical prayers are like that. I would have to say probably most of them are just like that. Nobody really cares. It's just something that we say. That's something that we do in church. And nobody really cares what that prayer is. Well, that leads me then to our final point about prayer we want to cover this evening. And thirdly, I'd like to talk to you about accepting the response. Accepting the response. Does God really answer the prayers of his people? Well, that, that's what actually makes our prayers unique. That's what makes them different from all the rest of the people in the world that pray. I mean, there are prayers that go up to, to God or God's Every day, all over the world, billions and billions of prayers. And the vast majority of those prayers fall on deaf ears because there is nobody to hear them. Now, the unique thing about us as God's people is that we pray to the only one who can hear. The only one who can answer. And as his children, we have a God who is always disposed to hear us. And that's because we've met the first and foremost criterion that he's given. And that is that we are believers in Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's as simple as this. We have it and they don't. And that's why God doesn't hear their prayers. You know, I'm reminded of Elijah when I was thinking about this. Um, and the challenge that he gave to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And there were a lot of prayers that were made on that day. I mean, there were prophets everywhere that were praying. And on one side, of all the prayers that went up, they never got heard. They never got answered. There was nobody to answer them. And, and, and Elijah knew that. And, and you know the story of how he began to make fun of the prophets of Baal. Oh, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's off on a vacation, on a long trip somewhere. And uh, uh, you need to yell a little bit louder. Maybe he can't hear you. He's too far away. Well, they had no help because Baal couldn't hear and they were and Baal was no help especially when there were actually 850 false prophets that were killed on that day but our God doesn't sleep Psalms 121 says and he will not suffer thy foot to be moved he that keepeth thee shall not slumber behold he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep now the wonderful thing about being one of God's children 
is that he always has his eyes on us. God always has an open ear to us. But he doesn't always respond in the same way. Now there, there are many contingencies to consider before God answers prayer. Every prayer that God answers alters something for somebody. You ever thought about that? Have you thought how that answered prayers are an action that's set in motion that reverberates through many, many unseen, unknown consequences? Every time that God answers a prayer, God has to know where every link to that answered prayer is going to go. He has to track all of them down, and he has to know how all the details of every single one of them work. That's not really a problem for him because he's God. He can do all of that as easily as flipping on a light switch. The problem is that the way that you want it to work could be a catastrophe for all the contingencies that come down the line. And so God has to answer prayers in different ways. And then on top of that, and and this is really just another mind-boggling twist of the whole thing, that everything that's going to happen is going to happen anyway. Now, I'm not a fatalist. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But everything that's going to happen is going to happen anyway because God already knows everything that's going to happen. Nothing's going to change in that regard. But everything that we pray for fits perfectly into God's design plan and his will and how he makes things work. I mean, everything that he's going to answer. He, an answer in the way that that, uh, maybe perhaps sometimes that we want him to. He knows how that's going to figure into his already predetermined plan. But the thing about it is, all of that's too high for us to consider. Don't even sit and think about that very much because you'll drive yourself crazy trying to figure out how that God tells us to pray and prayer changes things. And at the same time, God already knows everything that's going to happen. Don't think about that too much. That's going to bother you very, very seriously. So, God does give us some bare understanding of this. Just some things that we can figure out. We know that God hears prayer. He hears the prayers of the believers. So what does he do with those prayers that it seems that he doesn't hear? How does he answer prayer? Well, let's look at four ways that God answers prayer. And the first one is the one that you really like the best. This is the answer you want. Done. It's just done. That's the way you wish all your prayers would come to an end. That God doesn't say anything but done. Now, I I was working on this sermon, and at the same time that I was doing this, you know, the the Holy Spirit leads you in things that, when you're preparing sermons, things that you might read that you had no idea was going to figure into the very subject that that you're going to study. So I happened to be reading in Genesis chapter 24 at the same time I was working on this sermon, and I'd like you to turn there for just a minute to Genesis chapter 24, and... uh, This is the the story of Abraham's servant who is named Eliezer. And Abraham sent him to find a wife for his son Isaac. Now Abraham assured him that when he went that a bride would be found, that he didn't need to be too concerned about it, that he would fail. But Eliezer wasn't as sure as Abraham was about that. And so we begin to think, what if I can't find her? And what if I come across a woman, how am I going to know she's the one? How am I going to know which woman? How am I going to know the right woman? And so he was just plagued with doubts about it. And I suppose the worst fear that he had was that he would disappoint Abraham. That he wouldn't find the woman he was supposed to find. And Abraham would be so disappointed 
Well, Abraham entertained the same kinds of doubts, but he wasn't really worried about it because he knew that God could provide. So Eliezer left and he went to Mesopotamia, to Abraham's family, to his family, old family home. And he went to Abraham's brother Nahor. And when he arrived there, he he stopped his camels outside of the city at the well about the same time that the women were coming to draw water uh, for their camels and for the, for the animals and so forth. And so Eliezer began to pray about this. Now, we pick this up in Genesis 24, verse number 12, and he's praying to God. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. Now before Eliezer was done praying, he had an answer to the prayer. And so later he was relating that story, the story about Rebekah coming out to her brother Laban. He was telling her about this and how that God had answered the prayer right away. Notice what he says in verse 42. And I came this day, he's talking to Laban here, and I came this day into the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if now thou do prosper my way which I go, behold, I stand at the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin cometh forth to draw water, and I say to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy pitcher to drink, and she say to me, Both drink thou, and I will also draw for thy camels, Let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed out for my master's son. And before I had done speaking in mine heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down unto the well and drew water. And I said unto her, Let me drink, I pray thee. Verse 48. And I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. Those are the kinds of answers that you want. They're immediate. They are precise. There's no doubt God has answered the prayer. God says, done. It's finished. You don't have to pray about that any longer. God just gives the answer. We like those. Would you like that kind of a prayer? But is that the most frequent? Is that... The way it often happens in your experience? No. Prayers are often much more tedious than that, and answers can be a long time in coming. But done, that is one type of answer. It's immediate, it's to the point, it's finalized. It's like paying bills online. You click with your mouse, and it says, funded. And I've done that too many times by accident. But uh, anyway, uh, it's just done. God, God answers the prayer. Well, there's another answer that we get far more often than that. And the next way that God answers prayer is delayed. God's going to answer the prayer and the answer is going to be yes, but it's going to take a lot longer than you think. And we have to be very careful about that kind of prayer or that kind of answer because very, very often we think that delay means no. 
And so what we want to do is get out in front of God and try to make it happen because we don't like no. Well, there's another story of Abraham, I think, that seems to fit here. And this is the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He said, Abraham, or Abram at that point, he said, I promise that I'm going to make you a great nation. And that was when Abram was first called out of idolatry. And he became a believer in the true God. Then later in chapter 15, God repeated that promise. Now the problem was that Abraham and Sarah wanted a child. And they wanted that promise to come true that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. But it wasn't happening quickly enough for them. There was a delay. Much longer than they thought it should have been. Much longer than they even thought feasible. And so Sarah cooked up a scheme to have Hagar, her servant, have a child by her husband Abraham. Now the intention there was that Sarah was going to make that child her own. But that wasn't God's plan. And that didn't work out very well. Hagar and the, and the boy got thrown out of the house. Now you see, they had God's promise, but they didn't like God's delay. And do you know that bad decision between... That, that, that Sarah made and Abraham made because they didn't like the delay. You know that's been causing us a problem for 4,000 years now. Same problem for 4,000 years. Jews and Arabs fighting each other. And it started all the way back here with this mistake that was made. Well, a child was in the mix here, but it was going to be longer than expected. And what we have to have is the patience to deal with God's timing because his timing may be different than ours. Um, he knows when you ought to receive what you want and a different time might keep from what you want from being harmful to you. Remember all those contingencies that I talked about? God knows them all. He knows when all of them are going to come to pass. And what I've done many, many times is I have warned people about stepping out in front of God. People look at the situation here and uh, our area, it's tough to make a living here. And so people go to other places. They want to find jobs where prices are lower. And they think, oh, it's going to be much better when we get there. And they step out in front of God. And then they find out that their lives get hung up. Can't find a good church. Never seem to get settled. They, they second guess their decision all of the time. But they're caught. Nothing they can do. Now, they're there was a delay, perhaps, that they weren't willing to accept. The point is to wait. If God's going to do that for you, God's going to do it at the right time. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment, and I want to answer this, because I have been asked this before. If you pray, and you end up stepping out of God's will, and you do get into a bad situation, are you always going to be out of God's will? Well, let's relate that to a move. Let's suppose that um, you decide to move to Kansas or someplace. And I use Kansas because nobody's going to move to Kansas, I don't think. So you get a job offer in Kansas and, and you go there. And when you get there, things just don't seem to be right. It's not what you thought. The, uh, the, your church life begins to suffer. Your family begins to suffer because you just know you're not in the right place. Are you always going to be unhappy in Kansas? Is God... Never going to change things for you. Well, I, I definitely believe that those kinds of, of things are forgivable sins. 
There aren't any sins that God doesn't forgive. That is, when you go to him and you admit that you've made a mistake and you become malleable to his will, there isn't anything that God won't forgive. And so sometimes God will bring you back, but God doesn't always do that. So he can alter the situation where you are and he can clean that thing up so that you can be effective in the place where you are. Now, I think it's going to be harder. And if you defiantly go, and you're thinking that because I've just said this, that, oh, it's okay if I disobey God because God's going to fix it anyway, then your thinking's messed up, and you're, you're going to have a hard road to hoe, if you understand what that saying means. It's going to be very tough. God never abandons his children, but God never lets them know who they belong to either and who's in charge of everything. Defiant determination to do something is going to be harder for you to come back from. There is no doubt about that. But God can, and he does, make silk purses out of sow's ears. Do you understand that one? God can do that. Now, our lives are, are full of mistakes and if God, if God was going to shut us down for every mistake that we make and we become useless and ineffective, then God defeats his own purpose. You see, because that's what he's put us here for, his purposes, his evangelism, to reach people. So God's not going to take the sins that you commit and say, you can't come back from that. God's not going to do that. God forgives. But you don't want to step out of his will because you know God forgives. That, that's the wrong attitude altogether. So this is what we're here for. We're here for evangelism. God has left us in the world because he has his elect here that need to be saved. And so God's not going to defeat his own purpose. So what does God do? He picks people up. He dusts them off. Puts their feet back on solid ground. So delay is an answer. But you have to be very careful how you handle delay. Now the third answer that God gives to prayer is a different answer. Something different from what you expected. Sometimes God works that way. Now the Bible has also good examples about this. And when I think about God answering differently, the one that comes to my mind first is the Apostle Paul. Now we think here about our text verses. Paul said, pray for all men. Now he's using these these different Uh, different words to impress that upon them, supplicate God, intercede for them, pray for kings and those that are in authority. But Paul knew the rigors of Christian living. He, He had written to the Philippians. He said, if you're going to be a Christian, expect persecution. I mean, pretty much, he says, a hard life is inevitable. And that's nothing different from what Jesus said. Persecution will come if you're a believer in him. But that didn't stop Paul from praying for an easier path. And that's why in this text, he says, let's, let's pray to have peaceable lives. Let's pray to have good magistrates. Everybody wants to have a good life. Now, you think about Paul's personal problem. He knew it's expected for Christians to suffer. He said that. But that, did that stop him from praying for his own good health? Did, 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 did that stop Paul from talking to God about the illness that he had in his body? Now, what Paul was thinking when he prayed about the thorn that he had in the flesh was that he could become more effective in his evangelism if God would remove that from him. It looked to him like that's a better path. That's going to make it much easier for me to preach the gospel if God will remove the thorn. So he prayed for God to take the illness from him. Did God answer the prayer? Well, he answered it, 
He wanted to be more effective in preaching the gospel. That's what health is for. Did God answer the prayer? He did, but not how he expected. Instead of removing the thorn from him, God said, I'm just going to give you more grace to deal with it. And so Paul's testimony actually became greater because he had that illness. Now, I think I'm about to have a Joel Osteen moment here where, where you know, Joel says, oh, you're, you're, your problem, that's God's stepping stone. That's the way that God helps you to reach your dreams. It's good that your friends betray you. It's good that your boss uh, is making it hard on you. It's good that you got fired. Those are God's stepping stones to greatness. There you go. I, I actually heard Joel say almost this very same thing. Who was right? Well, you know, God thought it better that Paul should keep his thorn because his testimony was greater with it than without it. And that was to show that our limitations are not God's imitations, limitations. Now, I know that charismatics have trouble with this. Even Joel is determined that in the end that no Christian should actually have trouble, that Christians are not going to end their lives with problems. If they have enough faith, there's not going to be any problem. And uh, that's really the gist, that's really the, the core of the Word of Faith movement. That's what it teaches. I don't have a problem with Paul's thorn. I don't have a problem with that. Who is right, Paul or God? Or is Joel Osteen right about this? Well, I think that we have to go with God. Because for 2,000 years, what have we been talking about? How Paul had such an amazing faith that he lived in the grace of God. Sicknesses are hard for us. Maybe not as hard for us, in, in our, in our, for, for, for us personally, but when you think of sicknesses of your child, something happens to them or a loved one in your family, and that really is tough. But what if God says to you, your child is going to be sick, and your child is going to have to live with the disease? Or what if God says your child is going to die with the disease? And instead of answering your prayer where he takes everything away and makes it all right, he just says, I'm going to give you the grace to live with that. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to allow you to live with that. God may answer your prayers, but not in the way that you expect. What if God had said, or what if Stephen rather had said, uh, God, show me the best way that I can be a preacher. Show me how I can be the best witness that I can be. Stephen was both of those, according to Acts 6, 8. He was a great witness. He was a great preacher. He was Holy Spirit-filled. And that preaching is actually what got him killed. God's greatest glory was for Stephen to become the first martyr of the Christian faith. It was God's greatest glory for Stephen to go out under a valley of stone, a volley of stones, rather. And, and, and I know that Stephen was a man of prayer. The Bible says that he was. I know that he wanted to... He wanted to serve God mightily, but God had him do that in a different way than what was expected. And then you think about this. Sometimes you pray that God will give you more strength and God sends you more trials. He makes life harder and harder for you. What's God doing? He's answering the prayer. The way that he makes you stronger is not to make the path easier for you, the way that he makes you stronger is to lead you through those trials, give you more fights to fight, and when you get done with those, with the more and more trouble that he gives, you become stronger in your faith. I hear something a little bit peculiar. 
the doctor called me the other day, and a few weeks ago, and he said, I've got some bad news for you. He, he said, uh, for several years, you have been skirting type 2 diabetes. Now you've crossed over to the dark side. So what you've got to do now is you've got to take medicine and you have to take care of yourself. So my thought about that was, well, he's telling me I need to take it easy. I, I need to just take it easy now. That wasn't what he said at all. He said, now's the time for you to work harder. Get out there, walk, and exercise if you want to live. Well, I'm going to get better, just not the way that I thought that I would. God's always working with us that way. He just, he just overrules the wisdom of the world. Uh, the way to become more effective, we think, for God, the way to become more effective is to have the devil tied up and put over in a corner and left there. Isn't that the, what we think would be the best way to make it easy on us? But that's not what God does. His method was to let the devil loose and harass the living daylights out of you so that you learn to depend on him. Somebody asked me about this the other day and we're just talking about this very thing. That if you never had any troubles, if you never had any problems, would you ever pray? Would you ever depend on God if everything was just fine all the time? No, you wouldn't. Because, and God knows that. And so he teaches us to depend on him by bringing those troubles into our lives. And you find out depending on him is much better than the trouble, I mean, living without the trouble. When you have full trust in God, troubles are not an issue for you. You're, you're happy knowing that God is pleased that you're, that you're serving him as you should. Well, let's look at the fourth answer. We need to, we need to get done here. The fourth answer is denied. Now, some of you might be too old for this reference, and that is, or too, or too young, rather, for this reference. Sometimes God is Nancy Reagan. He just says no. Some of you understand that. Most of you don't. Uh, when I was a teenager, I, I, I prayed hard. I've, I've been a Christian since I was uh, seven years old. And I, I was nearing the end of of, uh, I don't like to tell stories, but I'm going to tell you a very brief one, okay? Just to give you an illustration here. I, I was, I was uh, nearing the end of high school, and I needed transportation to get to college. I was helping my dad during the summers, and uh, I, I needed a car. And so I kept thinking every day as I came home riding with my dad that I'm going to pull into that driveway, and there is going to be a new car sitting in the driveway for me. I just knew my dad was going to take care of this. And I kept praying for that. And God and my dad kept saying no. And I finally did get a car. It, it was a Ford Maverick. It had second gear out of it. And for two years, I, I nursed that car. And, and I, I drove that car. I drove this junker with humility. And I, I would never even challenge a 10-speed bike to a race because he had gears and I didn't. So sometimes... God knows what your intentions are. He knows that you want some things because your motives aren't really all that great. I did need a car to get to school. That was true. I needed that. But I wanted it more for something else. I wanted it for dates. Now, my, my Maverick would not make me a swinger. Um, it, 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 it wasn't going to help me get girls or anything like that. And God knew... Dad knew that's the number one goal. And so that's what I got. Now, thank the Lord for this. My wife wasn't impressed by those kinds of things. When I met her, I was still had this maverick. 
had second gear out of it. That didn't bother her too much. So we, when we got married, we borrowed a car to go on our honeymoon. Sometimes God knows that your requests are just about you. James said, be careful because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your lust. God knows all about that and sometimes God just says request denied. Did you ever do something and something wrong and you prayed that God would not chastise you for it? Have you ever done that? That seems like the smart thing to do, doesn't it? You do the wrong thing and you know that God's going to wail the tar out of you and you just start praying, God, don't, don't be so hard on me. Don't make, don't make it hard. Well, I can tell you right now, that's a big fat request denied. God's not going to listen to that. Now, here, here is a verse in the Bible that I think should be taken out. And you can sign my petition after church, then we might do this. But Hebrews 12, 11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I don't want to believe that that's right. I mean, in my, na- in my natural way of thinking, I don't want to believe that that's right. But God says, don't ever pray to be without chastisement. You go on and read in that scripture there, and doesn't it tell you there that if you're without chastisement, you don't belong to God. Don't ever pray for not to be without chastisement because that's one of the ways that God lets you know that you're one of his children. So God knows how to answer these things. You ask him not to be chastised if you belong to him, he just says no. And you have to learn to live with God's answers. So God has these different ways of answering prayer. We have to be ready for them. All of God's answers are good and right, no matter what it is. If he says done, if he gives you a, a, a different answer, if, if he says denied or whatever, it doesn't make any difference. The answer that God gives is always going to be right because God knows everything. So you don't have to worry about getting what you think is a wrong answer. God's always going to give the right answer. And so whether he says delayed, different, denied, take that answer. Be glad that God gave you that answer. And when he says no way, Jose... And your name isn't even a Jose. Just remember that he knows best. Now, the important thing here is to keep on praying. On, on praying. Keep on praying. Keep expecting God to answer. The Bible never says stop to stop praying because you're not going to get an answer. It never tells you to do that. So what we have to do is be praying people. Stay in communication with God because that's the way that he accomplishes his will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the time that we've been able to spend in your word. And we thank you, Lord, for these lessons that we've had about prayer. And as we bring them to a close now, uh, at least for this time, and uh, of course we'll take up the subject some other time, uh, Lord, we just thank you for what we've learned here. And and I ask, Lord, that that people will remember the things that have been taught during this time, that, that your church would hear these things, put them into practice, know about the essentials, know about the obstacles that we have, know how you answer prayer, and just be glad that you're the God who, who loves us and cares for us and we have a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation. Bless your church. Be with your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 
6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.